Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Getting this one out a little late for you guys. Got wadded up this week and just didn't get a chance to uh, get this one out on time for you, but it's coming out nonetheless. So appreciate you guys being patient, and I know you guys have been waiting for a podcast. So we're going to deliver for you today, but first, I'd like to make sure that you guys support our sponsors, VW Trends Magazine, magazine for the people, by the people. Some of the latest and greatest things happen in the VW scene are in VW Trends Magazine. So make sure you subscribe today at VWTrendsMagazine.com. And last week, I just got a package from boys at Ross Wolf. I got a couple shift couplers and a bus uh, dash block off plate. And that's from the guys at Ross Wolf. That is high quality aftermarket parts produced for enthusiasts by enthusiasts. So make sure you guys go check out their website at RossWolf.com. Some of their cool stuff that they have on there. For sure, the locking dipstick is pretty dope. You guys like that. If you get a little too much blow by in your crankcase, keep pushing that thing out under boost. You might want to get this locking dipstick. It's pretty rad. I like it. There's tons of cool parts and pieces they're doing. Matter of fact, I'm putting my gear together right now, and I'm using the Ross Wolf body bolt kit. So they've got body bolt kits with pretty cool washers as well as fender bolt kits too. So they got plenty of cool stuff for you guys to get for your VW to accessorize and dial in your Volkswagen. So make sure you guys check them out at RossWolf.com, purveyors of speed and style. Also, if you get a chance, check out my guy Lanny Hussey's custom cars. If you guys are looking to have a car built and you want that attention to detail kicked out, check out Lanny Hussey Custom Cars. He's out of Barnaby, British Columbia. Check him out. He's got intense attention to detail. You know plenty of his cars that he's been uh, doing. Check him out. Follow him on Instagram at Lanny Hussey Custom Cars. Check him out on his Instagram page. I'll leave a link down in the description of the podcast. Also, great news. Our date is set. For one crazy weekend, 2023, that weekend. So mark your calendars and take your time off now. That weekend is going to be October 6th and 7th at the Orleans Hotel and Casino. I'll be sending the room code out where you guys can get your rooms booked. Make sure you get your rooms booked in advance because I'm going to tell you what, last time a couple of people didn't do it. There's a few games happening in town and roommates shot the 400 bucks a night. You book through us, it's like $99 a night on the weekend and $79 the week the the days before the weekend. So make sure you guys check it out. So that's pretty exciting. Make sure you tell all your friends 2023, October 6th and 7th, that you're going to be getting set up to come down to Vegas for the unbelievable strip cruise, the super sweet car show, and the unforgettable poker run where you get your chance at winning over a thousand dollars. Last year they won 1500 bucks cash prize. I'm figuring out ways for more people to win money on the next event. So we may be doing some VW knowledge test games uh, and do maybe a bracket elimination. We're coming up with some ideas. My, my homeboy, McCallick, is uh, helping kick in some good ideas. We're going to do some fun stuff, man. It's going to be a full-blown weekend of great time. Anybody that's been knows you're going to get your room set up again. Hurry up and book your room, guys, because it's going to be big and it's going to be awesome. So without that, man, well, let's get into it. On this week's podcast, I've got Ra- Rodney Adams. He's with Rad Designs. Designs a uh, turbo kit, came out a few years ago, and uh, does a lot of engine work. He's up out of the Reno area, and he's been doing some big things. So I wanted to get him on the podcast and get into his story about how he does, what he does, how he got started, and all that good stuff. Because, you know, I like turbo talk, and I've been thinking about turboing one of my cars because uh, 
I like turbos. So who knows? We'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see which car gets a turbo. But sooner or later, we'll be lacing up a turbo. Ultimately, my dream would be to turbo the Bull Run bus when she re-debuts as the Let's Talk Dubs podcast bus. So anyway, guys, it's good stuff. It's going to get better. And we're about to let you have it this week. Rad Designs, Rodney Adams on Let's Talk Dubs. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen Okay, everybody. So on today's show, I've got Rodney Adams with Rad Designs at a Turtle Lock, California. You may have heard of him. The first time I heard of him was on uh, Facebook. I happened to be scrolling through some stuff and I saw this really cool looking turbo kit for sale. Then I kind of checked it out, went to his Facebook page and, and looked it up. And past this past year when I was at the Fast Four Cartel race, I ran into him, saw he had a, a car out there that uh, he was helping somebody out with and stuff. And so I sat. I, I kind of chatted with him for a second, got his number, and on today's show, I've got Rodney Adams with Rad Designs on the podcast. Rodney, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great. Hey, I'm excited to have this conversation because I got a lot of questions, but the way we always start the podcast is, what's your VW story, and how did you get into Volkswagens? Oh, man. Well, let's go back to when I was a kid, right? Um, 14 and a half, I would say. Yeah, and I was still into RC cars and boats at the time, um, probably since I was ten, and you know, tinkering with that and playing with those is, was you know wonderful because that's you know as a kid that's what you can kind of really get into and play with and your toys become bigger toys and that toy becomes even bigger and um, so at fourteen and a half or so um, working probably since I was twelve saving up I think I had about a thousand dollars in my pocket and my parents wanted me to get a pickup truck. Well, that wasn't going to happen because um, I wanted a Volkswagen Baja bug and all their hopes and dreams went out the window real quick. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I picked up this purple, or not even purple, it, was, it painted it purple. I picked up the 63 Volkswagen Baja that I built. It was the roughest condition, um, ran horrible, it was noisy, you know. Nope. Everything you can barely afford. Nope. I even traded my RC cars plus cash to get this thing. And, and what made you pick a Baja? Because uh, I liked off-roading stuff because it reminded me of my RC cars at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as a kid, your mindset is, okay, I can get something that does this. I can get something that does that. Let's see what vehicle fits that vibe. And the closest thing at the time before Volkswagen was like an El Camino. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, it's a truck. It's a car. You know, but um, no, I had to get the Baja bug, so... And and Turlock, there's a, there's a there's a little bit of a VW scene there in Turlock, isn't there? Yeah, um, it's not as large. There's a a lot of cars scene. They have a huge swap meet area that they do twice a year. Right. That's uh, a county, um, Stanislaus County, mm -hmm. and there's a humongous car show because they take up the entire fairgrounds. Right. Um, so twice a year they have that out there, and it's kind of been off the radar, but people do know about it. Nice. Um, and then the Volkswagen scene is yeah, there's there's there's. Um, there's quite a few Volkswagens out here. You don't see them on the road as often, but when you do, there's a whole bunch of them. Right. So, and then 
so and at your shop at, at Rad Designs, you do like dyno tuning, EFI, turbo kits, fabrication. I mean, you kind of do everything. How, how do you end up get, getting from buying a Baja bug? And clearly you're kind of a hands-on guy because I think anybody that's in RC cars for a while, like you're either going to spend a lot of money in there, which you will regardless, but you're going to spend a lot of money if you don't work on your own stuff, right? Like the, the technical aspect of it. So I would assume you've got a little bit of fair technical understanding yeah so going back um on that with what i know um yeah like what we do fabrication we can do anything custom however you want um that background goes from when i was a, a welder in the field doing food process equipment for years mm-hmm. um i did food process welding since i was 15 years old so shortly after i got in my car uh i was in el paso texas tig welding you know oh, wow. <laughs> i've had a, quite an eventful uh childhood traveling in and having job um, security for sure. Right. Um, but um, yeah, fabrication early on came from that. Um, yeah, dyno tuning, we, we rent a dyno uh, through another shop because they have, um, have improved what we, what we are capable of doing mm-hmm. and um, with the room that we have. So we rent it out through another company and that gives uh, both of us some, some help. And then uh, I do remote tuning, lots of remote tuning um, with Holly EFI, like Gen 4, um, sniper stuff, some Phytech stuff, and um, you know the list goes on. If there's anything new like Microsquirt or Alltech, you know we 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 dig into that too. So when you start tinkering with your VW, like what's the first thing you start? You you buy this this '63 Baja. What's I mean how how quickly do you start getting into the engine, the mechanicals on it? Um, can you rephrase that a little bit differently? Well. How I understood that as far as work and like getting to start to work on cars when you buy this first car when you're 16, mm-hmm. how, how do you start? I mean, what's the first thing you start doing to it where, I mean, you feel fairly capable in an RC car and then really the bugs like a bigger version of an RC car. Right. Uh, how do you start getting into, cause you know, some people are just focused on suspension. Some people are just focused on paint and body. Clearly your, your focus is the mechanicals, right? Like the, the engine, <laughs> And, right and the turbo and stuff like that did you first get because you know i remember back years ago probably 10 15 years ago like the mega squirt all that stuff started getting you know kind of on the popular side with the tinkers and stuff so what are mm-hmm. some of the stuff you start doing to the 63 bug or what's the first big thing that you do uh mine was when i first drove it i realized it had um a low geared bus transmission in it like a 538 ring and pinion yeah uh, so I knew it was kind of slow and it had a 1641 in it with some baby Delordos on there. Um, and it didn't have enough power when I first drove it. And I know when I took it up like this first hill as a kid, we had a lot of hills um, where I lived and it just couldn't couldn't cut it. And it was kind of sluggish. Um, so I did what I could, you know, go back there, you know. You know, back then we just had magazines. We didn't have much internet. wasn't super big. It was still available. Right. Um, but it wasn't as accessible is from my perspective as a kid because i still had like windows 95 <laughs> yeah so it wasn't that uh wasn't that accessible to just google something um but i was always fascinated with engines how to make them better how to make them more efficient uh with rc cars you know you you got a bunch of aftermarket so little exhaust pipes little engines and glow plugs you know to make them quicker and so i kind of applied that knowledge into the baja bug well um quickly after trying to get it tuned up again as quick as I can with what I had, um, I looked into engine swaps um, and almost immediately because that seemed more affordable than 
tearing apart a Volkswagen bug at the end at the time. Mm-hmm. So I tore that sucker out and I threw in a 2.3 liter Ford Pinto engine. Oh, get out of here. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I put that in there right away. Um, hung it off the back, this heavy, you know, four cylinder cast iron block and did the street headers and put a Holly 350, uh, two barrel on it. And I was like, okay, now, now we're, now we're good. <laughs> yeah. Now, man, I'm sure that, get, that gives you plenty of power. Now, how did you do the cooling system on it? Where, where did you mount the radiator and all that good stuff? I mounted it right next to it on the side, um, just parallel with the engine and the car, mm-hmm. and then had an electric fan on it. And uh, I actually pulled, I bought the whole car as a complete car. I drove with the my whole parents Pinto? to LA, the whole Pinto. <laughs> it was a station wagon rally car Pinto. Get out so of it was gutted. It was, it was cool. Car. You know, it was almost cool enough to like, you know, as I'm older, I'm like, I should have just left it and drove it. It was, right. it was pretty cool. <laughs> but um, no, I pulled the engine right there in the dirt because we lived in dirt everywhere so i didn't have like concrete nice garage or anything like that pulled it right in the dirt middle of the rain and uh pulled out of this pinto and got the adapter from kennedy and you know went to was it lc lc engineering for the header and like all the adapter stuff for the performance that they had and i just bolted in i think i paid i paid 300 dollars for the pinto we drove to la with a u-haul dolly drove back and uh, I think that weekend I had it like bolted in the car running. I was, you know, 15 yeah. and a half, 16 years old, just high on excitement. So and, uh, it's interesting to me that the first thing you do is a big engine swap. And right now you're, you still do a lot of the just true traditional VW stuff, but more focus on the fine tuning and dialing in of it. What, mm-hmm. what, uh, because there, there, there's also guys that just do swaps, right? Like guys that like they, they'll just do a Subi swap or, you know, whatever they're gonna do, but they don't even waste their time with the VW stuff. So what makes you? Where do you take this transition from? Like, okay, you know, I, I, make, I like to go fast. Maybe I'll, I'll start working on some stuff to, you know, just go out there and be fast. Or do you kind of get? Do people seek you out? Like, how does, how does this whole thing come together where you start? taking things to the net, like going back into Volkswagens and then tweaking VW motors? Uh, kind of go back and forth on both. Um, over time, before I got really big with the Volkswagen stuff, I mm-hmm. would make the best of what was already in it, right? So, like, what we do now, um, you know, someone comes over and says, you know, I just want a little bit more performance or I just want it to run better or I'm not sure what I got. What can you do for me? And I'm like, well, we can do anything from make it just run better or we can pair apart and make it go really fast. So um, I've applied the knowledge that I've learned over the years from Volkswagens to engine swaps. I've done Honda swaps. I've done two Jay-Zs from the Supra stuff to big single turbo stuff as a kid, um, classic car V8s. And then towards the end, before I got back into Volkswagens again, I was into Audis and Volkswagens of more of the modern area. Yeah. And um, and that basically all looked back around as well. I can... I think I've got a good grasp on what, what uh, engines do nowadays and, uh, and apply it to what I do now. Um, but then you mentioned the Subaru swap stuff. Uh, I did one just actually recently for a guy, and it was a Type 3, and helped him out with his, and he did a micro squirt, and I built the Subaru engine for him and made a custom out for his Type 3. And so we're not really limited to what what we what you, most people see, but um, if I always tell people if you don't see what we normally offer, then I'm pretty sure we do it. Now, so for some of the listeners that, and, um, that, that might not know what we're talking about, we're talking about micro squirt, mega squirt. So those are like DIY EFI brains. Like for the guy that's sitting there and says, I don't want to spend five grand on an EFI system, let's just say hypothetically, 
and mm-hmm. I want to, and I'm a hands-on guy. It started out back. I mean, I, it's gotta be 15 years ago with the, with the, uh, mic or the mega squirt where it was like, mm-hmm. they, they would sell you a board with resistors and plans and you'd solder this whole board together. Right. And I mean, it was like for the super techie, like I'm not buying a car, <laughs> I'm going to the junkyard getting EFI parts and I'm going to make this Volkswagen EFI. So the, the mega squirt micro squirt stuff started out. I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't follow it super tight, but I think it started out as like a website where you bought the parts and pieces to build your own brain. And now I think mm-hmm. for the most part, I don't know if it's third-party companies that build the brains for you or you can just buy them built and ready to go. I think they offer them both nowadays, but yeah, they were very, um, uh, it was very build it yourself um, back in the day from Microsoft. But now they have, you know, they have like just ready to go stuff that you can just plug and play or just, you know, buy the basics and have it running in a matter of a, uh, a weekend. Yeah. And now on your YouTube channel, you had a, uh, you had, um, your first video was, uh, the video that kind of got you a little bit of noticing from people in the VW scene. What was the first video that you had out there? The first video probably Volkswagen was when I had the bug, uh, the bug I have now, that's the rad designs bug. And we bought it with a stock 1600 and we restored it got it all running as a, you know, as a hobby at the time. And then kind of, it goes back to when I was a kid, wasn't fast enough. Okay. Let's make faster. Um, built a turbo system for it. Real simple draw through turbo system for it. And, uh, off a basic header and junkyard turbo. I think I bought it on Craigslist at the time. And, uh, the carburetor is built kind of pretty similar to what we do now. And, um, with what we sell. And I made this video where I was like, Hey, can you do me a favor and uh, record real quick? I'm just going to go over here and just do a you know, quick rip for a second, third, because this thing runs like a top. And uh, I've been driving this thing, you know, when it before to work and back. And as a daily driver, you know, getting 25 miles a gallon, this sucker, like it's kind of incredible. Yeah. And uh, all I did to it with the engine was put in high rev springs and everything else. I just said, well, it's running good. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And a stock 1600. So, stock bone stock crank, like Ford out crank, flywheel. Stock, uh, I, didn't even, I didn't even touch it. Stock cam? Stock cam, yeah. Stock cam, um, heads, pistons, rods, everything. I never tore apart, ever. Really? Um, no, I never touched it besides the springs because I knew I was going to rev it a little bit higher. So that was my only concern. And uh, so I shot this video and I just launched it. It was pushing 18 pounds of boost. had an MSD ignition setup on it, a little bit of water meth on 91 octane. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just spun first, second, and then it scratched third gear. <laughs> and that video just was, was hysterical to watch because it, it was kind of unbelievable. Right. But um, it, it did it, and it did it all the time. And uh, that was that went really big real quick. So now that so that car that sixteen is now. Did you say that's the that's the car you still have today? Yep, that's the same one I still have today. So when when you're looking at that video on your website, that's got the rad design sixteen hundred cc motor that's running twelve threes. Is that the same motor? No, that motor is gone. But okay. the 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 specs on that that runs I've gone eleven eleven four. Yeah, yeah. eleven four, hundred and twenty one miles an hour with a sixteen hundred, and I've gone seven one at ninety five in the eighth mile with it. With a sixteen hundred. Um, with a sixteen hundred, yes. Now this um, is a built sixteen hundred? Not very. The bottom end is an eight dowel German crank with counterweights. Um, it's factory 311B rods that were used. They weren't even like really gone through. 
Um, so what's a three, casts, what, what's a three eleven B rod? Is that just a part number on a stock crank on stock rods? Yeah, yeah. So most of your rods that you'll see for Volkswagens of that size, or you take them apart in their stock trim and rods, and say a three eleven B on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so stock rods, stock bolts holding the rods on. Um, factory case, which is some case savers. Um, eight millimeter OEM cylinder studs, and um, what else? The pistons are cast Maressa pistons. Those are like the cheapest ones I think you can get. Really? Made from Mexico. Yeah, they're really <laughs> inexpensive. And people like think they're bad because they're cheap. And I'm like, you know, these are actually holding up pretty good because I've thrown almost 38 pounds of boost at it and they haven't even flinched. <laughs> so, 38 pounds of boost? Yeah. Uh, on the street when I was pushing the limits and, you know, testing everything as much as I could, I I closed the wastegate completely for the, for the, uh, for the turbo system. Mm-hmm. And just let the turbo throw everything and anything at it, and uh, and this is how we test our stuff before we even consider selling it. Is we want to make sure we believe in it before we put it on our website. So and, and you kind of thought like, well, I'm just going to pull the cork in this thing and see what happens and see if exactly grenades. I mean, it's funny. I have a similar experience. I had a I had an old Turbo City setup, and it was a little. It was a side draft. And we went to the test and tune, a local test and tune. I had it in a 1914 and mm-hmm. I'm with my buddy, Steve Richardson, and he's got his cow looker 2276. And I've got my patinaed 66 sitting there with that little 1600. We ran through the lights one time and it had a, in the blow off, uh, or the wastegate on it opened up at seven pounds. And so it was like, it, there was a 200 people there and it was going to be another hour and a half before we ran again. And I'm like, well, I'm going for it. Cause I ran like a, a 1590 something ridiculous and i'm like that's bull crap so i pull the vacuum line off of the uh off of the the wastegate and then i just mm-hmm. shove an allen wrench in there and cap it off and i'm like well <laughs> we're gonna see what happens in the next one so here am i in 1914 and i ran a 1401 running out of gas going through the lights because i because it boosted and i think it was set to just blow off at 14 pounds which mm-hmm. was would just mind boggling to me how you could just flip a switch. And this is just a raw car with a 009, nothing fancy, but I think one of the most underrated, I don't want to say underrated, but maybe misunderstood or um, really misused setups are turbo setups. Because if, if you really set up a turbo setup, right, you can put a turbo setup on a car and drive it daily and, even build Absolutely. it, build it to stand up because one of the things that one of the big things I think that's made leaps and bounds with respect to uh, turbo setup in air cool cars is water meth injection, which has been around forever. Um, mm-hmm. But for some reason, a lot of people in the VW world haven't been using. I mean, unless you're like a serious turbo guy, most guys that are like your average bought a setup, bought a turbo, put it on there. They don't even. They just keep trying to increase the boost. They don't sometimes think about the water meth injection. It's just your typical backyard guy. You know what I mean? Like the guy just working right. on his own in which that water meth injection allows you to really crank that boost up quite a bit. I mean, what, and I'm assuming that's how you're getting 38 pounds on the setup you're running. Well, we run, um, we run 85 a lot and that is a great, um, inexpensive option for race fuel because the rating on that is between 105 and 115 octane, approximately, depending on the um, the level it's at on the content. So and, let, uh, let's talk about E85 for a second. So now for and only, the only reason I, I like to break it down for maybe some of the people that don't follow some of the you know the, like they're not really into. So E85 is that 
corn fuel that they make that's not available as regularly as it was five years ago, but it's still available. Um, some mm-hmm. of the some of the cars have the modern day cars will say that you can switch it to E85 or not. Now, the difference really with E85, the biggest difference is the octane rating, but it requires a lot more volume of fuel. Correct, because the the amount of energy it puts out, if you take the volume of standard gas and mm-hmm. the E85, you need more volume to create the same amount of explosion, the amount of bang, the amount of energy that comes out of the fuel. So it has so like that's a, why like you have a to lower, run more percentage. So maybe like a lower BTU rating it has on it. So you got to you shove exactly. It. Okay. Exactly. And so, so in order to achieve the same you know amount of power or amount of explosion, you have to increase your volume of E85. And E85 is normally cheaper than gas, right? I mean, I think the struggle today is like finding it, but once you find it, you can get it pretty regularly, right? Yeah, it's usually depending on where you get it, it can be anywhere from ten to thirty cents or more cheaper than your pump gas that you get from like 91 or 87 octane. So what is your, on a car that you're going to do, would you advise someone to go E85 on a daily? Uh, for, it depends on their application, what they're doing, you know, say if they come to me and they want a stroker motor and they want a turbo system and they say, all I want is 200 horsepower. And then I'm like, oh, 91 octane, 93. That's all you need. You're, you'll be plenty right there. Um, if they, and then it depends on the availability too. If, if their availability for E85 is around the corner and they can fill it up every day and they're going to make a daily driver, and yeah, let's put it on E85. Now, and, um, now with a 1600 with a turbo, so let's say a, let's say a guy says, "I want a car 150 horsepower. I want a sleeper. You know, I want like the little 1600 that you can crank it out 150 horse." Which I would assume you'd probably want to do E85 on a 150 horse turbo, or are you thinking no? Like I said, it depends on their availability and what they have. Um, if they want, if they all they have is 91 octane around them, and E85 is an hour away. Um, then we can just do 91 with like some water meth injection and they're set. Okay. And then if you do E85 and you're going to drive the car, is it going to be mm-hmm. a, a considerable amount of fuel usage? It will use a little bit more. Um, on your regular cruising, you'll use 20 to 30% more fuel uh, on, on a, on a you know, middle of the road average, right? It's kind yeah. of an estimate. Um, but when you're on boost a lot and you're going to be beating on it and it'll suck it down pretty quick, you can use, you know, easily 50 to 60% more fuel than if it was like 91 octane or something. Okay. And it all could depend on the power levels you're going to be putting at it and how you drive it. So, uh, for a daily driver, E85, you're probably not going to need it, um, unless you're in, you know, absolutely requires it. So E85, it's not going to be like disastrous more, uh, fuel. In, in respect to uh, like using regular gasoline, like if you're a daily in a car, because I don't know, do, would you would you run an injected car, a high compression injected car in E85? Oh, absolutely. Like yeah, if, E85 is, a if E85 is available, how high a compression on a naturally aspirated car can you run on E85 from your experience? I, I don't, I haven't found the limit yet. Um, really? I ran, no, it, it, E85 is wonders. On a lot of V8s I've worked on, we run up like 16 to one compression with 85. Holy crap. And, and we've like thrown a bunch of timing at it. And as long as the fuel was there, the motor was just like, give me more. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. Really? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, what um, about air 85 is pretty wonderful. What, what about on the air cooled stuff? Air cooled, it, it does even better because the engines are only air cooled and oil cooled. So if you've put an 85 in it, that's going to help run, make it run cooler. And you're throwing octane at it. it it's just going to be, 
you know, it's going to be just as happy. So what, what's the most compression you've run on a, on a VW motor with the 85 naturally aspirated? Naturally aspirated, uh, 12 to one. 12 to run, no, yep. no detonation. 12, 12 to one. No, not at all. Fired up like a factory car, ran good, real snappy. Now, and, um, would that be injected or carbureted? Uh, it was a carburetor at the time. Yep. So when you do carb, you obviously have to do some, you probably got to drill out some jets. Uh, yeah. So if you say you had your factory carburetor, right. Or whatever you had dual carbs on it, you would need to increase the volume all around to, uh, to make up for the 85 volume. So you need, you know, your idle circuit, your main circuit, your, um, your, your capacity to be able to fill the carburetor. And, and then you have to chase that all the way back to the tank too, right? Your fuel system need, needs to be able to fill that carburetor up. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a bit more changeover than if, uh, than if you're running, you know, a typical 91 octane, but if you prepare for it, right. Um, it'll treat you good. So now, now I'm thinking selfishly for questions for me, right? So I've got, <laughs> so <laughs> I've, I've got an 03 Mexican beetle that has the, the Mexican EFI setup on it. And I'm wondering, because because that thing's got a it's got a map sensor, I think, in that fuel injection. So if it increases uh, I, and I'm this is just me not knowing anything, just things that I've heard other people say. But my mm. thought is that you could probably turbo it and it would increase fuel pressure based on the manifold pressure. If the curve for it is set correctly and the map sensor can read it, then it's doable. Mm. Would it need to be tuned still? Probably. But yeah. not knowing the parameters, you know, uh, just guessing it. Like right. I, I wouldn't say a solid yes, it could. But is it possible? Sure. Yeah, because that's kind of been my, you know, I've got this Mexican this Mexican beetle in it, and it's got a little bit of a cow look on it because it's sitting on four lug Cosmics, original four lug Cosmics. But I think I'm thinking about switching to like a German look on it, and I would love to to boost the motor because it's a hydraulic it's a hydraulic lifter sixteen hundred. And, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering, you know, could a guy get reliable 150 horsepower out of that? What size is the engine currently? It's, it's a 1600. It's a factory 1600? Mexican fuel injected 1600 with hydraulic lifters. I'd say it's doable. Yeah. Um, anytime you do increase the power, you know, at, at least double what the engine made from the factory, your maintenance will obviously increase and your engine life will decrease depending on how, how heck, how hard you beat on the engine. Right. Um, but uh, is it doable? Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, because it would be super slick, I think. And it's always been one of my things in my head to, to, to get a under apron turbo setup and just run up, up pipe up to the single manifold. And, and, and kind of wonder, I wonder why I haven't seen a lot of people really use the Mexican throttle body and injectors. And, and, and that's maybe where we're going next, right, in this conversation is the turbo <clears> setup. So... The first turbo setup you do, you kind of just find a yard sale turbo, put it on there. And once you like, because you're a technical guy, once you start getting into that, do you start looking at the different vein designs and turbo and the housing sizes and those types of things and, and, and start to develop your turbo setup specifically for VWs now that you, after you turboed your first one, did you start getting into like, man, maybe I'll make a kit. And then you started researching turbos and the way, the way that they perform different. Yeah. I, there wasn't kind of what I wanted available. Like the blow through stuff wasn't that big at mm -hmm. the time when I got into it. So that kind of got pushed, you know, uh, more so than the draw through because the draw through has been around since shoot 
since turbos were, came out you know, right. like in the 80s or so whatever the date was on that but um that's kind of been the setup for these forever and they work they work great you know i i put i build carbs for them i do turbo systems for them and they do well um but some people say i want all that to fit underneath the deck lid well blow through is the way to go um because it package better it's going to run better it's going to keep the carburetor warm like it's supposed to and atomize and and the package just is a tighter fit um but yeah i got into that because uh when i was a hobbyist at the time uh, there was kind of limited and the knowledge i grew from over the years from what i've learned mm -hmm. i wanted to apply it towards what was missing and i kind of felt like that was missing so uh the blow through was the first first start of it did the blow through with a four barrel turbo on a 2276 cc and on e85 too and um got it all figured out made the first pass and went like 11 3 to 122 kind of blew me blew me away wow how fast it went but it rang good i drove it on the street forever and drove it to work drove it back you know and it was like shoot this this runs really stinking good compared to when i had a draw through setup on there and you, what's funny is the experience I had with the car with the, with the 1914 with the Turbo City setup on it is I did two dyno days, and this was like 2006, 2007. I did the first one with the Turbo City setup on there. Now, mine did a different tranny because uh, the motor went into a, a different 67 that I had. And I then switched it to the CB, I think it was the Gen 1 system, blow-through turbo setup. And mm -hmm. the car felt slower with the with the with the blow through setup on it but it, the dyno numbers were bigger but it just didn't feel the same as that side draft you know as like mm -hmm. that that draw through what's the i mean from your experience is it all just in the way that it's set up in the turbo and the impeller size and all that i mean depending on how it feels or is there a distinct difference to, to you between a blow through and a draw through in the way that the characteristics on, on how they drive so the characteristics could be in a parts incompatibility. So if you had like an engine set up like a one way and then you threw a turbo system on it that was meant for the engine to be set up a different way, mm -hmm. then you can get that lazy effect, right? So kind of the same thing with camshafts. If you throw this, uh, you know, real lazy camshaft in it, that's going to have like a low compression and large cam. And you go from dual carbs, to like a center mount throttle body, mm -hmm. it's going to feel really slow until that air is able to catch up from a turbo system. So uh, a parts incompat incompatibility um, is a common thing that happens. And I, I make sure I talk to people about their setup before we go forward with, you know, what they want. You know, they say, yeah, I have this huge NA motor and I got low compression in this cam. And I'm like, oh, we need, we need to go over this first before this is the direction you want to go. And to make sure that it's going to run the way you predict it's going to run. So right. that you're happy with it. And, and that could be what your scenario that you had at the time is um, it, yeah. it felt it felt weird, you know, it didn't yeah, feel quite it, right. Because, you know, sometimes I listen, let's just be honest. Everybody likes the donkey power of like when you, you hit that boost and that car just starts moving. That's the part where you get that stupid grin on your face and you just can't. Oh, of course. And you keep going back for more. Right. And if it's mm -hmm. more of a if it's more of a gradual boost, you may not feel it like if it's transitioning better, it doesn't have that same kind of. A, abrupt punch you know you don't have as much lag and it's more just kind of transitional right from the power band right um, and that's what we try to shoot for is to make sure that it does what you want on the power you want it to make the power right but also feels enjoyable when you're not using that power yeah as, as far as now you do full engine builds as well 
Yes, sure do. So in your opinion, for you, like what's what's the ideal motor setup for you for street for for every now and again going to the track but you want to street it but you also want to have something peppy and quick and someone said hey rodney design my motor setup i want you know street car that i'm not concerned about mileage but i really want it to be quick i want it to be reliable and uh i want it to be surprisingly fast to people well the most common one that comes up comes off the mind is either 2276 a 2110 mm-hmm. um those motors are, are are well known they're big motors they build simple and they don't have any weird parts that you need to make the long block um so the benefits of that is you get a big engine so it's going to make the power much easier than if it was a small motor so you're not going to have to stress it out as much as if you're a 1600 and you have to spin it to 7,000 rpms all the time to get that torque that you're trying to look for right um and then with a stroker motor, it'll drive around town real easy, like a modern car. And then when you want to lay into the power, you only need 10 pounds of boost or 15 pounds of boost. And you're already knocking on 300 horsepower. Wow. So, and that's a ton in such a light car nowadays. If you do the math with power to weight ratio, it'd be like a Camaro with, you know, eight or 900 horsepower, you know? Yeah. So, com- comparable, comparable in respect to pounds per horsepower. Exactly. So... Um, and that's a lot of people to understand is like even 200 horsepower is really quick and will get you a 12 second car, um, without really having to try it that hard. And, and I think, and, and one of the things I like about turbo cars is the big gear trans, the tall trannies, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. they just make it a little more drivable, especially on the freeway. You know, if you get a street car that you're looking to have quick in the quarter mile, unless you've got a five speed, you know, you're going to be the R's are up pretty high on the highway. What's, mm-hmm. what's your set? What do you like for tranny setup? Uh, like for guys that are driving on the street all the time, mm-hmm. like you're saying, like the taller trans, um, what also known as like the freeway flyers, yeah, which is like uh, almost like a factory late model IRS transmission. And, uh, a lot of people have those. And I tell them, I'm like, leave it. That's, that's great for what you're doing on the street. You want to be able to go on the freeway. You want to drive it. I'm like, just leave it in there until you find the limits of, you know, trying to hot rod it too much and then you can take it apart and then go through it again. But that is a great um, street gear stack for people who just want to enjoy the car. Now, give me and, uh, on, on, on that motor setup, the motor tranny combo. So you're saying like freeway flyer setup, 388 ring and pinion, um, mm-hmm. just like tall gears for freeway cruising. And then the turbo is going to make up obviously your difference to get you that power where you need to be as far as your. I mean, the displacement in and of itself, just with the motors, maybe the bottom end torque to move it to where the turbo takes over if you're, you know, concerned about Absolutely. pushing that thing. Now, on that, so on your ideal engine setup, what are you using for cam heads and and um, induction? Like, are you going, are you going uh, single throttle body, are you going blow through on a carburetor? Like, what are you doing? We do, so we originally started the blow through four barrel stuff. So for our... Um, our Rad Designs products, we have the four barrel or two barrel blow through setups, and you can use that all motor or for turbos. Um, that's a carburetor option. Um, for the EFI guys, we use um, Holly Terminator X, and we've been using that pretty successfully um, with a lot of cars and Holly Sniper. Um, for those guys that want to buy a little bit more, a little more tech savvy um, in their cars without having to mess with carburetors, so we kind of feel out people what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have those few options. Um, 
and then yeah, with the EFI, we you know do a single throttle body to keep it simple for them. We um, do dual throttle bodies as well, even like the dual Webers and stuff like that. Um, a lot of people will call and you know have troubles with that. So um, well, I was like, yeah, we well, want to try the single throttle body option. So it's one cable and simplify it, and and it sounds like you're familiar with polys and the basic tunings and you know, if parts break, you can kind of go to the store and grab some parts, you know. So it's a little more convenient for people to use, especially if they break down the side of the road. They're able to just go back there and go, oh, okay, obvious fix right here. Now, I was so I was thinking the other day about turbo setups, and I was having a conversation with somebody about, you know, because I have that CB setup, which got the dual throttle bodies, and mm-hmm. then talking with someone else about a single throttle body, and they said, I think the single throttle body is a lot more easier to tune. You don't have to worry about syncing them. You don't have to worry mm-hmm. about any of that stuff. Is the math on that, like if you're doing 48 millimeter carburetors, you would want to go 48 times four for your throttle body di- diameter? What, I mean, to try and, what are you trying to figure out? To try, if you're trying to figure out the size of the throttle body that you'd need, like if you want the same performance as a set of 48 IDAs, it mm-hmm. would be 48 times four for the diameter? Not necessarily. Or, or if you're for a work? boosted application, you usually go smaller because NA motor is trying to do everything it can to pull in that air. Right. When you're turbocharged, turbo is doing the work. So you don't have to rely on giant to, to make up for it. So, and with turbo systems, you want airspeed over volume mm-hmm. because the turbos want to, you want to get the air in there as fast as you can in the window that it's got when the valve's open. So with dual Webers, they're like, they're really large. Um, I think if you do the math on the CFM, they can be anywhere from like 600 CFM to 1300 CFM. Mm-hmm. And people get that really wrapped in their heads when they see how small carbs that we use with like a Holly 350. Right. And we're making, you know, 300 horsepower on a two barrel. That's 350 CFM. And, uh, and that just goes to show you that when it comes to turbo systems, the turbo is doing the work and the, the motor doesn't really rely on pulling that air. Yeah. No. And, that, and that's, and that's why I asked the question because, you know, I, and I find it, helpful to listeners as myself to ask those questions because sometimes when you're changing applications, you have to change how you're thinking about it. And it, right. it would make sense to go smaller on the intake side to be able to maybe build more pressure too on the boost side, right? It will, it will create more airspeed. So the back pressure won't, won't really be there um, unless there's a restriction somewhere down the road. Mm-hmm. So if you see, if you see a PSI, that's a measure of restriction, right? So, um, as you increase boost, and if you're not going faster and the pressure is going high, 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 then you've got a restriction somewhere. Where's, you know, where's the restriction? Is it your throttle body? Is it your engine size? Is it your valves or so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, over the time we've figured out what, what likes what, but um, that's kind of how that's determined with the restriction, right? Um, I don't think we've had to go bigger than a 500, 500 CFM at most. Um, I think a 600 CSM four barrel is good to about a thousand wheel horsepower on a V8. Holy crap. So when people say, yeah, I want a bigger carburetor, I'm like, no, no, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> they're like a, they're like a 350 CFM. That's child's play. And you're like, son, let me explain something to you. Yeah. Cause exactly. It's just when a- you pressurize that carb, you just, you do not need all of that, all that window. Cause you're not, engine's not doing the work anymore. Right. Right. So. If you're build, if you're setting that motor up for somebody that we're talking about, like like you're building that motor, like hey, I'm putting this motor in my car, and I and it's going to be the only motor I'm putting in there, and I want to use it for everything, for freeway driving, I want to use it for a weekend track racing every now and again, I want to use it for just cruising mm-hmm. around town. 
are you doing you personally doing efi a carburetor uh if my knowledge wasn't as i mean for my knowledge I, i'm an efi person because i'm able to um you know, I want to, I want to get every inch of, you know, every little detail out of that motor. Right. And that's right. just my drive to push it. But for the longest time, for like five years, I did two barrels and four barrels and they were great. Right. Um, the two barrel has been, I, I love the two barrel cause it's very simple and it works just as well as a four barrel. It fits better in the package. It's easy to get it in and out. If you have to work on the car, mm-hmm. it's easy to work around. And, uh, it just it's just practical so if i had to do it again i would do two barrel right away not even not even questioning it so re, so like for reliable if someone says hey i'm you know i'm putting my own system in i'm not a computer whiz i'm not you know you're gonna advise them toward two barrel carburetor setup yes do a two barrel if they're turbo system you know if they want to go turbo and they don't want to do it with a laptop with like ignition control we set them with a you know uh, ignition system that can retard timing that way they don't have to worry about the laptop ever. And, uh, and, and it works. We got tons of people out there now with this system and, you know, they, they're, they strictly tell me like, I don't know computers. I just want this to work. And I said, yep, no problem. Let's just go this route. And since you're old school or you, you, know, you don't know laptop stuff and this is simple, I can explain it to you on how to install it. I can tell you how to tune it. I'll tune it with you. I'm right there to hold people's hands and make sure I got you, man. You're going to be taken care of, and you know you're going to enjoy this. So if somebody and wants to get it set up, they're done. They're having a blast. So when someone buys a setup from you, like they they've got access to you to help them get it dialed in and stuff like that. Uh, Absolutely. So you're you're there to back it, like because you ultimately your best salesman is a happy customer. Right, right. You know? That's super important that they are confident what they're paying for because it's not cheap to you know invest in turbo systems and spend a bunch of money to go faster and. Um, you know, people want to make sure that their money is, is in good hands and uh, support from, from me is really important. And, and I want to make sure people believe in what I, what I have. So, and now the, the blow through setup that you have, there, the one, there's one on your website, it's like 42, 4,200 bucks. Um, mm-hmm. That setup, does that, is that come with any kind of meth injection or no? No, that's uh, basically the entire turbo system minus your, your fuel system, like your fuel lines and your pump. And regulator, which we also have too, if people don't already have a fuel system. So, but um, if somebody, so, so let's talk about this. If if somebody buys that turbo setup and they're going to go carbureted, they don't need a looped fuel system, do they? They do. With blow through, you do because you're pressurizing the carburetor. Okay. And when you pressurize the fuel system, you need to be able to increase your pressure to compensate. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Otherwise, your pump won't be able to push it in the carburetor. Okay. So you still do a looped fuel system even with that correct with that correct. set up there okay but if you're draw through you don't have to worry about something like that okay no makes sense i'm and i'm just asking the questions as like a guy looking at it thinking like huh if i put this yeah on, sure absolutely you know, absolutely what, what do i need to do to get it set up so this setup if a guy says look i got a I got a 2276 cb wedge port heads and speaking of heads what heads what heads do you like for those for your builds smaller than than the bigger stuff um for most most guys that are like a 1600 i try and tell them stick with a stock size valve at the, at the most of 40 by 35 but you need it um the bigger motors 40 by 35 is a great one um and at the biggest 42 by 37 
and uh, you know, keep it all small. If you can fit the stock is- in casting on it and it covers the ports, you're in good shape. Now, I mean, what, most what, of those guys are good for 300 horsepower. Yeah, obviously, everybody's everybody, you know, all the magazine warriors have been looking at magazines and are like, nah, man, I got to get the 4437. What's your, what's your philosophy for people to understand be, behind, like, hey, if you're doing a 1600, even a 1776, stick with the stock valve sizes. Like, what's, Absolutely. The, what's the philosophy behind that? Uh, like I said, the turbo is doing the work. So all motor, you, you know, if you're trying to, you know, send the car on a mission and you're going to spend it to eight grand and you want it to go real fast. Yeah. Go bigger, go everything big. Cause you need that engine to do as much work as it can to get that air in the motor. Um, but with the turbo, it's going to do the work. So to keep it reliable, keep it, keep it simple because it's going to, it's going to have good long-term longevity for you. The maintenance is going to be good. Um, and it's uh, it's going to be practical. It's going to make good torque, and that's really what you want in a turbo setup. Is you want it to make really good torque, and that it makes it enjoyable. So, now does, you only go from off idle to like six grand as your power band, and right, and it's fun. Yeah, and and really, I mean, anybody that's had a motor on a dyno and running that thing up to six grand, it just makes you clench your teeth because, <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, I'm. I, I, I'm a big fan of type fours. I've, I've got type fours in my buses. I've got mm-hmm. type fours in my Gia and some of my cars. I do have a type, a couple type ones. Um, but you know, I'm a fan of type fours because of torque, you know, and that's where mm-hmm. the big displacement gets you, um, mm-hmm. on, on these setups here. Have you ever turboed a type four? Or you just mostly done type one stuff. You know, I mostly type one stuff. That's something we're definitely going to be digging into eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've been getting um, a lot of questions on that. So, um, eventually I would, I'd like to do a kit, um, for those the type threes as well. And, um, you know, show the guys, Hey, yeah, what you got is fine. And let's, we're going to have a turbo system for it and, uh, go play and enjoy it. So, yeah, I, you know, when I, when I look at technology, like the Corvettes, right, you look at the Corvettes that have the turbo set up all the way back by the exhaust system. It's all the way back by the bu- rear bumper and, mm-hmm. And they're, you know, boosting their car. I'm thinking, because that's been, you know, I've got another Type 3 Gia I'm building right now. And I keep thinking, I've got a 2276 with wedge ports and an FK8. And it's low compression. It's like eight and a half to one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because I, I was originally set it up to be an upright turbo motor. But I mm-hmm. I would still love to have that thing turboed and have it in a Type 3, in a Type 3 configuration. And I think, and I think... The first guy to develop a system that works, I think they'll sell off the shelves. Because I think there's a lot of Type Three guys that, I mean, the easy cheater thing to do is just go upright and leave the deck lid off, but it doesn't look right. It doesn't look finished. Right. You know what right. I mean. You don't want to ruin butcher your car just to have a little performance. Right. And I, I keep thinking, you know, one of these days, you know, there's no reason why it can't work when I look at the way that they build those turbo setups for Corvettes and stuff like that. You know, why mm-hmm. you couldn't do an injection type three single throttle body um, blow through setup on a type three and have it be somewhat reliable. I mean, I think at that point you can you can make it work. And I think maybe the thing that to start considering is like, is the fan going to stay together through that quick of acceleration? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the have you messed around with anything like that with the type threes for boosted stuff? No, um, we've done the swaps on them. With like the Subi slops, like I was telling you earlier. I know. Um, I know. And I know. And part, and part of me goes, man, it'd just be so much nicer to do a Subi swap. But it's like, then you got a radiator deal to deal with. And they're never, they're never pretty. 
And right. It, it takes a lot of work to get it to, you know, to make it look like it was made that way. Right. And the crazy part is really the Subaru is like the evolution of it. It's like the next gen of the Wasser box or VW motor. You know what I mean? Like it took it mm-hmm. to the next level and it, it's kind of the natural progression, which really, I mean, Porsche even did it right. When they, when Porsche developed the air cooled flat six, as far as they could, they realized to mm-hmm. get better fuel economy, more horsepower and still be reliable. It was to go water cooled, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, what would, ha- would have to happen if somebody had to make a real nice, radiator kit that works with the other because as soon as you, even when you go water cool it's not the answer like then you have to figure out how to get air in and air air out that's right through that radiator right. you know for so, every push there's a pull and the more you create there's more it's going to pull on you so yeah no now this turbo setup that you've got on your website that one we're talking about for the 4200 bucks that one does that rear turbo setup fit underneath the apron uh the type one yes yeah it does the headers fit completely underneath the lid without cutting the body or nothing. Really? Um, and yeah, and it's adjustable on the turbo so you can move it front and back depending on how much clearance you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a nice feature and it's, you know, connected to the V band. Um, oh, so it, even the way the turbo mounts to the header, you can articulate that. Correct. Yeah. It's not a fixed location. So you can rotate it towards the front of the car or the back of the car and adjust it how you want it so that you're not set with a fixed position. Yeah. So if for some reason you have, you know, less clearance or your, your frame horns are sagging or, you know, whatever it may be. If there's a variable in your car, you've got a variable to work with on the header to make work. That's pretty slick. It's, it looks like, is that the only setup that's made like that? I mean, like, does anybody else make turbo kits like that? I, I am not aware of any, no. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of a rad designs specific deal. Right. I like yeah, it. Yeah. That was something we incorporated and, and as well with the V bands, no one was doing V bands on the J tubes um, as far as a production header. So we incorporated v, uh, V-band J-tubes to get rid of that two-bolt flanged gasket that can blow out if the flange isn't, surf, you know, flat. Right. So it eliminates another gasket to get to get blown out because your header is under pressure when you're turbocharged. Yeah, no, so that's slick. Less less leaks is less problems. I so the only gaskets you got are one the one bolts on the header or out to the uh, engine. Now you have these kits in stock, like the, these kits are ready or they're made to order. Most I I make order, um, but I'm accumulating more and more that are going to be on the shelf. Um, but I make them to on a engine and a real demo engine I have mm-hmm. to your width of your engine so that it bolts on, it fits. So you so, so someone who calls you you say give me your stud to stud length so that I can set this motor up to fit exactly. the same. That's exactly it. So that when you get it, it goes click and slides right on you. Go, that's that's convenient. <laughs> well, listen, You're not bending a, a cheaper header and trying to make it fit or <laughs> hey, bend I, down that road a lot. I, I come from the school where my first car had a 40 horse and I bought this 1600 merged and this 1600 aftermarket exhaust and I went home, tried to put it on and I was ratchet straps and hammers and all kinds of stuff trying to get, right. trying to get that to fit on a 40 horse. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think that's that's important to know that, you know, to have it set up to to bolt onto the motor exactly because that makes it even easier. My next question is, does it fit with the deck lid closed? Yes, it does. So our two barrels currently um, were designed around our 69 bug and they fit completely. No problems, no touching, no rubbing. The early models were redesigning the two barrel eventually, which is coming soon Mm -hmm. um, to fit lower. So we're trying to trim a couple inches off the height so that we can get um, better clearance for the early guys that are like 66 and older. Um, but the header, uh, untouched fits both models. So the header itself fits no problem on both vehicles. 
um, from 57 to 76, whatever year you want to pick. That's a, I mean, that's, that's a good looking, it's a real, it looks like it's a real quality piece it's made. And I mean, I'm, I'm on the website now checking it out at, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Rad designs, rad design performance.com. So yeah, it's, it's a slick setup, man. I like, you know, I'm looking at, there's, there's two different pictures here and one has the turbo kind of toward the, uh, the right side of the motor and the other one has a, a different type of header design. So I don't know if one was an early design or late where it looks like it's got the exhaust rolling back and one's on a crank fire ignition motor and the other one's on um the carbureted one so mm -hmm. is that just two different systems two different design systems that you have right yeah the, the there's a system on there that shows are underneath the deck with street header style mm -hmm. and then there's other styles that show custom ones we built right so um if there's something specific that the customer wants that says hey i love the way this is set up but can we do something that make it work like that i'm like yeah absolutely why not now the other question that I have, and and it may be self-answering, but it's like you know when Volkswagen went '69, we talked about '69, and later they started adding vents to the rear deck lid, mm -hmm. and that's when the doghouse shroud came in, right? So it's like more vents on the mm -hmm. deck lid because it draws more air. And what's interesting is I, I was thinking about this the other day. A lot of guys with early cars run the doghouse shroud for better cooling, but they don't have more air intake into the engine compartment. So it's almost like especially when you do something like this, you're going to need more air into the engine compartment. And, you know, in the nineties, it was cool to have deck lid standoffs. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I remember those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now it kind of, you know, everybody's like, Oh no, you can't have a deck lid standoff. You know, everybody wants it to look super cool, but I think mm -hmm. there's a requirement even on high performance motors where you need to get some ventilation through that deck lid like the factory did to be able to pull the CFM that's required by that doghouse shroud. Because I mm -hmm. think, you know, with the fan, I think the fan's bigger too on a doghouse versus a, a regular non-doghouse shroud. So Yeah, the earlys and lates had a little bit difference in like thickness of the fan. And maybe that's something people overlook all the time as far as like they ran a bigger motor. Why does it run hotter? Because it's built wrong. But it's like maybe you're not, you're not able to pull enough air into that engine compartment, you know? That very well could be, yeah. Because they do have a lot of seals on that engine um, around the tin, around the transmission side, mm -hmm. around the actual lid as well. And um, for it to work as the Germans designed it back in the back in the day, um, you know, you want it sealed really well. And then it'll pull a nice vacuum and it'll suck air down the top and then push the air down underneath the motor, the hot air that escapes out the back. Yeah. So on, I'm, so I'm looking at this setup and I'm thinking that the air cleaner fits underneath the deck lid or I mean underneath the mm -hmm. rear apron and mm -hmm. The deck lid goes over this. Do you make the rear breastplate tin that covers it, or does somebody got to custom fab that? So, yeah, the customer will, will trim it to make it fit. Um, but we've also ran without it as well. We've mm -hmm. had something else we all, we also wanted to test was, okay, if we run no tin and we put the deck lid on and just leave everything unsealed, how much heat can we get away with before it becomes a problem? Mm -hmm. um, as long as your engine is running efficiently, as it did all motor, and, um, you know, the oil temps stay cool, and you add a turbo system to it and you're cruising on the freeway. We did this a while back with our two-barrel kit, and we drove all the way to CV Performance for their open house. And it's two hours each way in the bug. Mm -hmm. And um, when it was tuned right, it, it made it all the way there, um, did the show with them, and uh, drove all the way back and beat on it all the way home, and, and uh, it did okay. Um, would I rely on it to do it like that all the time? If it was built right, no problem. 
if it was already a hot running engine, I put a turbo system on it and took a bunch of tin off it. Probably not good. You probably need to reevaluate how you need to keep that engine cool. Yeah. I think that's one of, I think that's an important thing that people need to realize. I mean, and like I said, even when we're talking about just a bigger, a 2276 in a 1964 bug with no vents in the deck lid and the, six, mm-hmm. the 1600 in 68, you know what I mean? It came with extra vents in the deck lid with the doghouse cooler with all that stuff. You know, it definitely, mm-hmm. they kicked it up a notch. So they did it for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, and I think that's one of the things a lot of us, a lot of us guys overlook even thinking about that and then sealing off the engine compartment. But I, I think that setups, it's a, it's a real sharp looking setup, man. It definitely looks like, it definitely looks like you had a job where you were paid to TIG weld, right? (laughs) (laughs) I've been here. (laughs) Yeah. Like you've been trained on someone else's dime to be the best food grade TIG welder, right? Because you said you worked on food processing machine, which means like, you can't have some, you, there's, you can't lay like what I do caterpillars of bird crap on a on food processing equipment, right? It's going to cause all kinds of all kinds right. of issues. So right, yeah, no, I think that's a and and this uh, so the header that you make with the original kit, it's a um, it's a uh, steel steel header on there, stainless steel. So it's all three hundred four stainless steel. So all um, your headers polished. are stainless steel. Correct. Yep, all the headers are stainless steel. Got it. And the intakes as well for the two barrel, four barrel intake kits. Those are stainless steel as well. Those are all three or four stainless. It's all food grade stainless material. It's all nice, nice stuff. Now, why why did you pick stainless versus the typical steel that people use? You know, for turbo setup. For one, it's going to look better as it gets deterioration, um, and I went with that as well versus like aluminum um, for like the intakes because most people don't have like aluminum welder or if they're do do yourself kind of person at home. Mm-hmm. And say they need to make a repair on it, they can do it with stainless because they probably have the welder that can do it with a simple welder. Or if they wanted to modify something or, you know, what if they're kind of aggressive on it? That sucker's going to last a long time because it's built really stout. Yeah. And uh, it's not going to, you're not going to hurt, you're not going to hurt anything. It's going to last a long time. And how many? And, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go, go. You were, oh, I, and with over the time, how stainless works, you know, a long time versus like steel. It's kind of, you know, it polishes real up with a little bit of scotch bright and you can, you're good to go. It looks like brand new again. Now, if, if a guy buys this turbo kit, is it adjustable where you can adjust the boot? Like what's the boost range on this kit? So we saw them with like uh, a small spring. So, cause we don't know, we don't have the tuned and dialed perfectly per every engine, right? We mm-hmm. just give you, we get it really close and then we help you to get it tuned with uh with a spring as in it so we set them up with uh, like a seven pound and a 14 pound spring and uh so we give you a couple of boost options if you just want to do a quick spring change um but if you don't want to change springs we can also you know hook up a manual boost controller to it so you can just do a knob or if you want to get real creative we can make a digital through a gauge you know however you like uh, but we set it out low so that we get the cartoon right with low psi settings and then uh, go from there, depending on what fuel you got in it and how uh, how your engine's built, you know. So um, we give that option for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think uh, I like the setup. There's a lot of guys in the in the VW Turbo world that are building stuff. How many of these kits do you think? How many, I mean, do you know how many kits you've produced so far? Oh shoot, I probably at least got thirty or forty out there. Yeah, off the top of my head. And, um, and most of the customers you've built these for, you're you're like a lot of guys. If they're in communication with you and they're and they're doing their own stuff, you stay mm-hmm. in pretty good communication. They're they're pretty yeah, they're pretty yeah. happy. 
Yes, yeah, exactly. If there's something they want to revisit or if they want to increase power, they say, hey, we got, we, I know we've, we've been working on it. we got it dialed. We feel it's happy with this. We're checking spark plugs, you know, or, and we're working back and forth communicating that to make sure it's their motor doesn't get hurt, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they say, I want to take the next step. And I'm like, yeah, let's, this is what we'll do. We'll do this, this, and this. And and then that'll get you uh, that much faster. No, that's uh, man, that's it's a nice setup there. Um, oh, any new things that you're working on as far as stuff you're trying to you're you're going to be bringing out to the market anytime soon? Anything you're working on? Absolutely, there's new stuff coming out. Um, won't quite discuss it yet, but it'll be. <laughs> well, I expect to get you back soon. on the podcast. <laughs> well, I, I'd like to get you back on the podcast to debut that information here, so we can get some people sent your way because you know, uh, people don't get in the VW business to make a bunch of money. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's, it's, it's a hobby of passion. And when people, when the right people enter the hobby that are really technically savvy and they see stuff on the market and they're like, you know what, I think we can do better. Or, you know, I want to do it my own way. And I think people want it that way as well. And they do like what you did. Right. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you had probably a cush job that had retirement and all, <laughs> all kind of good mm-hmm. stuff and yeah. all kinds of great benefits and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, you decided to put your time, effort and energy into this, you know, and I think it's, I think it's awesome. You know, I mean, it's got to say something for the passion you have for the VW, the VW scene. So do you have just, you, you have just the one car right now, or what do you have for your, your cars right now? So we got for, as far as the vehicles for the business, we got the bug, which has been, you know, kind of the you know, the main push for for it. Um, but we're also getting into the V8 stuff. We recently built a 65 Chevy Nova mm-hmm. and we kind of went pretty all in with it and to figure out what the, you know, the big stuff is about. Um, we did a, a built LS, we built it here and we put twin turbos on it, six speed manual transmission in the whole nine yards. And, wow. uh, so we're leaning into that as well. So, um, to kind of show how versatile we can, we can be and, um, you know, expand our knowledge as well. Now, how have you has, from your standpoint, have you seen the VW hobby, picking up slowing down i mean how, how are you seeing it from from where you're standing i've seen both i've seen where companies are folding and they think something's going to go on so they're selling um i've seen real lows i've seen i've seen you know moments where it's going up real high so um i think it's per, you know a little bit of perspective on what people see or what they want to see or what they are seeing yeah um but what i'd want to do is you know as since i started this young is i want young people to feel like they have a chance to enjoy their Volkswagens because a lot of young kids love these things and, and, uh, they want to make sure that, uh, when they jump into it, that, you know, they, they feel like it's, it keeps their interest, keeps them their passion that they enjoy about the hobby going. And, uh, that was something else I saw too. And uh, I wanted to grow. Um, I don't want this stuff to die cause I, I love this stuff and, and I wanted to be in it to make a difference and, and, uh, keep people in it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, I mean, that's why I do the podcast. It's not my day job. I, I do this because I love, I love the hobby and I love, you know, be, being able to chat with you and talk about these, you know, the turbo setups that you're making. And I mean, and you do more than just the turbo kits. I mean, you have, you do full, full engine building. Like what's the whole run of your shop in Turlock? What, what, what can you do for people? Um, so I can do, I can do inst- product installs, performances, while it's our primary focus, 
it's not what we're limited to. Mm-hmm. Um, but engine builds, fabrication. Uh, we're recently getting into our um, back in my machining days. So I, I was a machinist as a tool and die manufacturer for <laughs> for years. How, <laughs> so, what are you seventy? Yeah, how, it how goes <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. I've I am a seventy year old in a thirty. 34 year old body <laughs> that's a lot you've um, done a lot i've done a lot in my my youth and i've really i've, I've appreciated everything of every adventure i've gone through in my life but um i was a machinist for nine years and um i learned tool and die manu- make manufacturing cnc machining and um i'm re-bringing that back um to rad because uh i, I didn't want that knowledge to die and i could do more with it so Recently, we invested in a mill, and we're going to get a lathe um, back in here because we've been kind of limited on what we can do because of minimal equipment. Sure. Um, so the fabrication has kind of been the leading thing in engine builds, um, but that is going to also lead us to recently we with the mill, we've got all the tooling and equipment now, and I brought out my old tools that I did from machining days. Um, we can do engine cases now, like bore them open and, and machine those, and um, we can do heads now. Uh, I can machine know the heads and fly cut them and uh you know dual dual springs and you know just the simple things that if people need it done or if i'm building an engine or rebuilding an engine i can just do the little things like that and to finish the build so anybody listening to this can send you like they can send you their parts they want like if they're going to build their own motor they can send you their case their heads all that stuff you can punch them all out for them and set them all up i mean you can do Exactly. You'll, you'll yeah. do anything from the machining to like, hey, can you machine this and sell me a crank and set up the bottom end and send it back to me? Like, I mean, you're, you're pretty. Yeah, absolutely. So you're versatile yep. enough to where you'll kind of do, you'll do half the job, like whatever part of it they want, whatever services that they can fit within what you do, you're able to offer to people in the Exactly. Now, right. Like, so if they can't afford a full build or something and they, and they have some knowledge and they'd be like, well, I don't know this perspective of it, but I can do the rest of it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that for you. No problem. Yeah, because that might be, the, the, I mean, that might be something for people where it would be super beneficial, right? Let, like, let, let's say they're not scared to top end a motor, but mm-hmm. they're not, you know, they don't, they don't want to deal with the cam degreeing and setting up the bottom end and doing all that right. kind of stuff. And they say, hey, will you short block this for me? And then I want to take it over from the top end because I'm on a budget, but I definitely mm-hmm. want your help in this build. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we can do that. And then I'll, you know, when they go to fire it up, I'll be like, okay, let's go over. Even though that's all they paid for, I still want to make sure their stuff runs right. So I'll tell them, okay, when you're ready to fire this thing up, give me a call. And uh, we'll go over a couple little details and make sure everything goes well. Now, what do you, anything in the VW world in the aftermarket that you've, that you've seen out there that you think is missing or you think is a real uh, challenge in the VW industry that you'd love to see changed or anything like that, that you can think of that we could definitely, you know, use more of in our hobby. Don't be afraid to evolve. I would say don't, don't, uh, don't be stuck with a certain way because with anything we, you know, we evolve as humans. So I would say, uh, don't, don't, uh, don't be too closed off and, uh, keep growing because, uh, there's plenty of ways to make what we have better. And, um, we can learn from each other and collaborate and that that'll make this industry grow and bring in the hobby closer to everybody. And, uh, I, I think it's more unlimited than people think. And, um, and that's what I like to see it's, is everything just to get bigger and better and, and grow. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of people that are real traditionalists and they're going to build, 
you know, I'm doing my cow liquor this way, these carbs, this intake, this, and you're like, okay, no problem. But just so you know, technology's leaps and bounds further than that. You can get better performance. It may not be old school cool, but it will perform better mm-hmm. and outlast things. Because what's interesting is, you know, I, I, I have a motor that is a uh, supercharged engine that was in Lee Layton's drag car. It's got mm-hmm. twin Strombergs on there and it's got a supercharger. And when I was, I interviewed his, uh, his, his I interviewed Joe Horvath, I actually called him after I bought the motor who used to run Revmaster, which was back in the days of Impy and early sixties and all that stuff. And I mm-hmm. said, where did you guys get the supercharger? And he says, well, the supercharger we got from an aerospace uh, place that was designed to suck the air out of a room. And then we just fabbed it to fit on a, a VW. But it's like that that, yeah, that motor was a 1,900cc motor and ran, obviously we're back to power to weight ratio, in like mm-hmm. a bicycle front tired toothpaste tube shaped <laughs> drag, drag car that I don't even know if I could fit a leg in, but that thing ran nine seconds. And so in the beginning we went, we could get only to so much power and then we had to start shaving weight. And now mm-hmm. as technology has evolved, we can bring some of the weight back in, which equates to safety on the street and increase mm-hmm. that power. And it's, it's interesting how many cars you see that are built that are nice cars that are still running really delayed technology. And so many people have so, such pre-reserved feelings about turbo setups. Like, oh yeah, you put a turbo setup, all it does is overheat. All it does is run hot. And mm-hmm. I really think it's a misunderstanding of the setup and a lot of people you know, putting the wrong setups on vehicles, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Or what was available at the time. Right. And that's all they, that's all that was available to anybody. And they know, okay, well that, that doesn't work. Cause you know, we haven't got there yet with the technology. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, if they feel, if they're still uneducated on what's today, then they think it's still the same way. And, uh, once they get a taste of like, Oh, well we figured this out now. This is, this is great news. <laughs> and you know, it, so. it, it's funny cause I'm sitting here as we're talking, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking about the stainless steel header that you're making. And I know on my, on my bull run bus, the header that I have on that bus is a German header from Onendorp because in 2001, when I built that bus, uh, I did it, I put a type four in it and in Europe they run type fours and everything. And the only place I could find like a, exhaust system that would tuck up underneath the car and it was quite an elaborate exhaust system but it, but it was it's stainless exhaust and at the time in 2001 i paid 700 bucks which was huge money back then for an exhaust system for the vw world but mm-hmm. we were just looking at this exhaust and this engine the, the type 4 that i have in there's like a it's a ray b2270 type 4 which is mm-hmm. essentially like a 1641 big block you know what i mean slip in pistons and um mm-hmm. other than that mostly not a ton of machining and stuff but that car has been on the road uh, 19, 19 years and uh, 20 years now. And it, it and we pulled the exhaust setup out. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I've had a cast iron exhaust on a car, or not a cast iron, but a, a mild steel exhaust on a car for that long. And the sta- it's a testament to the stainless setup, right? The stainless lasts so much, so much more durable for long term. And when you're putting this kind of money into a car, I don't think you want to do you know, your plan is to not have to pull it apart again. So, right. Right. Now, what about, what about the thermal properties on stainless? Does it dissipate heat any different or better or, uh, worse than, than like traditional, I don't know what would be mild steel, what they make them out of. Uh, no stainless holds on to heat pretty good, which is really good for the turbo systems because you need heat to 
produce the energy. Um, so the stainless is just a another option. Mild steel is going to deteriorate over time a little bit quicker than stainless um, in a heated environment. Uh, stainless just has a, a higher durability. It's got more nickel in it. Um, it's just different characteristics. It's, it definitely gives off a nice little color. Um, that's for sure. Once yeah. it gets hot. And then, um, but yeah, I'd say we choose the stainless over the steel for its durability. Um, the price difference from mild steel to stainless nowadays is pretty comparable. It's still obviously going to cost more, but if you're looking for longevity, um, you know, stainless is, is what we prefer to go with between the two. Yeah. Well, so anything that we didn't cover that you, that you think that you want to bring up or, or chat about before we wrap up here? Um, check out, uh, just keep in, keep in touch with us. If there's, uh, anything you need to reach out to us that you've been looking for inquiring, um, don't hesitate to get hold of us. Um, you check out our website, which is raddesignsperformance.com. And, uh, we're on social media from Facebook, Instagram, to TikTok. And, and we'll, um, yeah, and we'll, we'll put all those links in down in the description of the podcast, mm-hmm. man, Rodney, I tell you, I'm, I'm sure glad we got to sit here and chat about this because I've really, uh, you know, I, I respect a lot of what you do and it looks like you build a quality kit and you care about what you're doing and you're not just doing this to make a quick buck. You know what I mean? Like you're doing this to, to make right. a, a difference in the scene, you know, and this uh, is a long-term thing for me. This is not something short. This is something I really care about and passionate about. And I want people to enjoy their cars and not get something that's going to be disposable. Well, that's great, um, man. So that's what that's what I've kind of I'm here for, and if you need help, I'm here. Well, very cool. Well, I, man, I definitely appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, and making time for us today. Absolutely, thanks for having me. This has been something we've been looking forward to, and and uh, it's great to talk to you, Bill. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Well, if you enjoyed that podcast, and I know you did, make sure you subscribe. You also send this to all your friends through social media. We love when you guys help grow the podcast. We've been growing by leaps and bounds lately, and I definitely appreciate that. So make sure you guys share this with all your VW friends, as well as some of those that might be thinking about getting VWs for some good VW talk. To support Let's Talk Dubs, go to letstalkdubs.com and click on the merch tab. Support your boy by buying some merch. And a shout out this week goes to Mark Gordon out of Brandon, Florida, man. Appreciate you supporting the podcast. He hit me up, place an order. I got to uh, bring your shirts in, so it might be a week or two before I get them shipped out. But I appreciate you supporting the podcast, man. Uh, again, if you want a shot on the podcast, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Oh, matter of fact, I got a five-star review right here. Armchair67 says, Bill, I've been listening since the beginning, and I'm grateful that not only to this, but for the effort that you put in to get great guests on the show and make sure you put out a quality show. Your great enthusiasm for our cars is evident. Still don't see any turtle backs in your cars, but hey, there's still hope. Looking forward to the next one. Listen, guys, with the turtle backs, we might have to have a talk. One day I may, but you know, after I just did the podcast with the Super Beetle stuff, I ordered a whole bunch of, uh, I went on a buying spree on the Samba and there's a guy on there, his name's Don Weir. And I picked up, when I say a stack of NOS literature, probably the nicest NOS sales literature I've picked up. And I bought all the late model stuff he had. So everything he had on the Samba, I bought it all. So hit him up, Don Weir. He's on the Samba under do lit is how you can look him up. D-E-W-L-I-T. Check him out. Tell him Let's Talk Dub sent you. He's got some phenomenal NOS sales brochures from the 70s. And uh, your boy went and picked up all of them because we're going to be doing some deep dives in some of the options that were available and some of these cool things 
for late models. Support those that support us. So until next week, guys, later. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Volkswagen.